Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host. Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief. With me are John Salantano, our business editor, Sharp Smith, our technology editor, and Jim Fryer, our managing editor. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence, a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. Our 2022 Volume 3 issue is available now. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. An annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing and online support. So for more information or to subscribe, visit insidetowers.com slash intelligence. So John, you're going to start us off. You had a bunch of earnings calls this week. Uh, Leslie, we've been busy. Just uh, We're right in the middle of earnings season and uh, they're coming uh, uh, fast and furious. But a couple of a couple of good reports. Uh, well, let me let me say overall, I think there's a lot of still positive performance amongst the tower companies and the and the um, mobile carriers. You know, they're all building out uh, their networks to meet the demand for uh, escalating mobile de- mobile data uh, usage and um, so um, T-Mobile reported earlier in the week that <clears throat> it's uh, essentially completed its integration of the Sprint network. Uh, as we reported back in April of 2020, when the two companies officially merged, um, they had a um, asset-wise, they had quite an expansive uh, network. Uh, collectively, the uh, combined T-Mobile, Sprint, LTE, and 5G network back then was approximately 100, 109,000 macro cells and about 69,000 small cell and DAS sites. And at the time, uh, T-Mobile estimated it would take about three years to, to conduct the integration where it would look at what cell, uh, sites it needed, what sites were redundant, what sites could be decommissioned. Uh, it turns out that they're well ahead of schedule. And in fact, a little over two years, they've completed uh, the network integration and managed to reduce the uh, the consolidated uh, assets down to uh, 79,000 macrocells and about 38,000 small cell and DAS sites. That's you know that's 30,000 plus uh, in each in each category. Uh, and all the while they've been you know adding to their existing sites, uh, beefing up their network to to 5G. Um, T-Mobile operates really two two uh, um, uh, categories of 5G in its, in its uh, nomenclature. They, it has the uh, um, extended range, which uses 600 mil, uh, megahertz frequencies. It covers um, about 95 97% of all Americans. And then it's uh, 5G ultra capacity, which uses um, uh, 2.5 gigahertz and millimeter wave frequencies covering about 250 million pops. Um, so, you know, it's at a point now where it's stabilized its, um, its uh, network infrastructure, and now it's growing to serve uh, more customers, both, both prepaid and postpaid. It's now up to uh, 112 million postpaid and prepaid subscribers. That's second only to Verizon. 
And it's really um, rocking and rolling with its new 5G home internet fixed wireless access uh, uh, broadband connectivity service. Uh, it, it's now top 2.1 million customers and it added uh, close to 600,000 uh, new customers in the quarter. So, you know, all this activity is paying off. The revenues were up uh, uh, about 4%. Uh, cash was up. Um, they maintained their... Um, their uh, capital expenditure guidance for the year, uh, and ex in fact, raised it slightly. They expect to spend around three, 13.8 billion in CapEx for the year and um, are well positioned to, to move into, um, into uh, 2023. Um, T-Mobile is actually the biggest customer of SBA uh, communications. SBA also reported this week and, um, you know, worldwide, T-Mobile is about a third of SBA's total revenues, but uh, the company uh, uh, happily reported that it beat its own estimates. Um, CEO Jeff Stoops said the, uh, the, uh, the company's benefiting from a significant level of wireless deployment activity amongst all its carrier customers, both domestically and internationally. Um, while some uh, M&A activity drove uh, their improvements uh, for the quarter, their site leasing revenues were, were up 10% year over year. And um, uh, you have to understand that, you know, even though uh, SBA operates both domestically and internationally, they still get about 70, three quarters of their revenues still are in domestic, um, uh, from domestic customers, the big four, uh, meaning AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon, and Dish really accounted for about 95, close to 95% of their, um, the, uh, the increases in their domestic leasing. But, um, you know, uh, SBA says its customers are, are focused on deploying uh, mid-band spectrum, and that's driving a lot of activity. They've, um, um, you know, they're deriving uh, business both through amendments and through new leases. Um, and the uh, new leasing activity accounted for about uh, close to 60% of domestic bookings, whereas um, uh, new leases uh, uh, were the balance. But internationally, they're continuing to grow. Uh, there's been a, a, a notable shift in upgrades on existing sites, and they've derived about um, two, almost two thirds of their, their revenues from existing leases and, and signed another um, uh, third of their business in, in, in new leases. Uh, most of their activity internationally is in Brazil and South Africa, uh, Brazil being their largest market. And, um, you know, they, the lease ups uh, exceeded SBA's own internal, own internal expectations in Brazil. And, um, you know, in international markets, uh, annual escalators are generally tied to local consumer price indexes or inflation rates. So in a way, the company is benefiting from increased inflation in other parts of the world. They're able to charge uh, at a higher rate because of that inflation level. But um, so they, you know, they expect a high level of, uh, uh, of activity to continue their, um, their services business where they, they help the carriers with site permitting and licensing and actual construction activity on sites was up 64% uh, year over year to uh, 88 million for the quarter. Uh, and this is uh, all in, uh, you know, from the, the heightened activity of its customers it's, and its, its tenants where 
it's providing these services and it, it, the company expects that to continue into 2023. So, um, you know, all in all, we're seeing, um, we're seeing a heightened activity at the carrier level and, and the tower companies uh, are supporting those carriers uh, with, um, uh, with the in, uh, more services and, um, and helping them to, to deploy their networks. So uh, I will add that the SBA is looking at um, uh, a couple of expansion opportunities. One, they were asked about acquisitions and they, they expressed a similar approach that American Tower did as we reported uh, last week that, you know, they'll look at the deals if the price is right, but uh, SBA thinks that a lot of asks prices are, are a little bit out of line into what they're willing to pay and, and American Tower said the same thing. Um, it's also looking at about 30 to 40, what it calls edge facilities. These aren't necessarily uh, com uh, mobile edge computing facilities, but they are containerized shelters at the bottom of towers. And, um, and they're being used basically uh, to as uh, connectivity points for fiber coming into, um, coming into the towers. So, um, um, you know, they, they indicated that it's not materially contributing to revenues now, but they are looking at it in a little more detail and, and experimenting with it to see uh, uh, where it may be beneficial to them in the long run. So all in all, a good, a good news story. Uh, we continue to watch what's happening. We notice that the, the tower companies and the carriers right now are, are not particularly impacted by inflation or interest rates, but uh, we'll keep an eye on that to see how that may affect them in the coming quarters. Thank you, John. It was very comprehensive. Um, Jim, you have a couple of stories. The first one is about a recall, I think. Uh, yes, Leslie. Uh, we're uh, happy to get the word out on this stuff as it, as it happens or as soon as we possibly can. Um, this was a recall sent in by uh, DMM, um, the supplier of tower equipment. And there are apparently some swivels out there, um, compact swivel units that they said um, uh, that there was a, a near miss incident involving the failure of uh, one of these DMM direct connector swivel units and it parted at the swivel assembly. And that's not a good thing. Uh, apparently the user was unhurt but at the same time, they did the right thing and issued a, a, a stop use uh, warning about that. Uh, they said that their investigations identified a product fault that under certain circumstances may allow the swivel assembly to unscrew and subsequently part. So, um, and, and it, what we've, we posted was uh, the details and the actual PDF that details the the, the skew numbers and everything that you need to know about which exactly which swivels they're they're talking about. So please check our Friday issue for that. If you have folks in the field that use these compact swivel units, uh, so anyway, there was there was that. Also last week, switching gears, learned that a uh, someone who I consider a personal friend of mine, uh, Bridget Hester who founded uh, this wonderful group called the Hubble Foundation. It was founded in honor and memory of her late husband, Johns Hubble, who tragically died uh, about 10 years ago. 
uh, on a job site. And Heather founded, rather than grieve, which she did, of course, and is still doing, but uh, but rather than leave it at that, um, she decided to found a, uh, a group that would support, be supportive of uh, families who had lost a loved one while working at a tower job site and um, provide them with not only with um, financial assistance, but with emotional uh, uh, support as well. Because uh, uh, Bridget has her, she has a PhD in social services herself. So she's used to uh, treating people and, and handling that that kind of uh, awful stress that that comes from a loss of a loved one. Uh, she's just an incredible person, and um, and I've known her through the, the past ten years that she's she's done Hubble, and uh, we've helped out with Pennsylvania Wireless when I was with them. Uh, we we tried to help out as much as possible in in providing donations to the Hubble Foundation. Uh, but uh, donations have slacked off, and uh, also she's always had a problem keeping things staffed because she has to staff it with volunteers, and um, that's that's always been a labor-intensive thing is to, to keep the volunteers on, and um, so she's sadly has decided that uh, she needed to uh, shut everything down at the end of the year and close the Hubble Foundation. Uh, she very magnanimous, magnanimously said that she's glad to see that there are other uh, other similar type of, of uh, worthy causes out there that do donate to uh, Tower families. So um, uh, she'll, be, she'll be missed in that capacity, um, but she said she still will be working individually with families on a um, uh, on an academic basis, but also on a, on, a, uh, uh, on a personal basis to help them get through uh, uh, terrible times. So uh, Bridget, we, uh, we, we wish you well and, and uh, glad you're still going to be uh, part of the part of the industry just just not as uh, uh, founder of the Hubble Foundation. Thank you, Jim. Sharp, you have a, a serious, also a serious story about um, what's happening in Ukraine as far as telecom restoration after the Russians bombed tower sites. Yes, Leslie, and <clears throat> I mean we're uh, we're we're all aware of how dangerous tower work is, and uh, I think we uh, um, that's something that our readers live with every day. Uh, but uh, what we're seeing over in Ukraine is uh, sort of taking that and ratcheting it up uh, several several notches. Uh, it's uh, I came across a, a, a story in time and uh, very seldom do, well, actually not seldom, but we, you know, when I read general publications, I don't always expect to see uh, tower, tower news and, um, there was a really interesting story in this week's Time magazine that talked about the uh, the thousands of wireless base stations and tens of thousands of uh, uh, miles of fiber and 
broadcast towers that have been uh, destroyed over in Ukraine, cutting off uh, villages and towns. And uh, when, when uh, in some areas they've actually taken the uh, the uh, internet traffic and they're routing it through uh, they being Russia, her routing the internet uh, traffic through their service provider, which I'm sure every Ukrainian wants uh, to have Putin listening in on their conversations. So uh, there's uh, been a lot of a lot of negative there, but you know recently we've we've heard about the uh, the retreat of the Russians, and uh, as they've retreated, the uh, uh, telecom technicians and engineers wearing bulletproof vests and uh, and and uh, 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 helmets have been uh, following in their wake uh, with uh, with with guards. Uh, who try to keep them from uh, from stepping on landmines, and uh, so far they have uh, rebuilt uh, 1,232 base stations. Uh, they're setting up uh, Wi-Fi uh, hotspots to facilitate connectivity, um, and uh, uh, but you know the hell of this is is that uh, even if they make it to uh, when they make it to a tower site, they have to uh, uh, they have to have help to make sure that it's not booby trapped. So it's uh, it is uh, it is an interesting job, to say uh, the least. And uh, um, the uh, Ukraine's Ministry of uh, Digital Transformation told Time that these restorations are quote being made with some really heroic efforts from these guys. It's still dangerous to do this work, but we can't wait to do this because there are a lot of citizens in liberated villages who urgently need to connect. So, so yeah, that, uh, that, really, that really touched me. It was a, an interesting story. And um, yeah, it's too bad. It's almost too bad services like this are needed, but they are. So, yeah. So the FCC this week uh, said it's going to create a space, a space uh, division, a space bureau, the new bureau. FCC Chairman Jessica Rosenworcel announced the move. Um, she was speaking to the Satellite Industry Association. She said the workload as far as space communications has really grown and that's, they need to devote more resources to that. You know, the International Bureau has handled international licensing and satellite licensing up until now. And she said that right now the agency has 64,000 applications for new satellites it has to review. Um, and last year it's on eightfold increase in the number of applications for fixed satellite service gateway earth stations and she said on top of that we're seeing new applications for novel space activities like lunar landers and space tugs that can deploy other satellites and space antenna farms that can relay communications um, and of course the advent of broadband uh, satellite delivered broadband is a big um, reason why all this is happening too she said 98% of all the satellite launches in 2021 were deployed into low Earth orbit to provide internet connectivity on Earth. 
And she said uh, they can help advance the FCC's goals to connect everyone everywhere. And she said more than that, the success of these low Earth orbit communication satellites could be seen as an early litmus test for the broader commercialization of space. She said the new Space Bureau will support United States leadership in the emerging space economy, promote long-term technical capability to address space policies, and improve our coordination with other agencies on these issues. And she listed a whole list of space-related agencies, starting with NASA, going to NOAA, NTIA, the FAA, and going on down from there. Um, the Bureau, you know, it isn't a really set thing yet. She has to, um, she has to get, uh, the proposal has to be discussed with congressional appropriations and the authorizing committees um, and with the other commissioners. This is her proposal. She wants to do it, but um, and it'll be interesting to see if this, this happens. I think it will, based on the fact that it's uh, one of her aides told the group that it's a really high priority. So I'm jazzed about this. I, I think they should name the office the Enterprise. So that's all I'm going to say. Uh, can, can Commissioner uh, Carr, can he be like a special attache for space junk? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I know. And there, Space junk, yeah. And there's been questions about how deep into space does the FCC want to be? And, I, you know, in other meetings, even other commissioners have said, we're not the space commission, you know, so that, that, and she, to clarify, she said, this isn't adding new duties. It's just reorganizing the people they have to better use them for space versus international. What's going to have the international bureau, it's still going to be separate. It's going to be an office. So, um, but space, space bureau. Yeah. I, I volunteered to dress up as a Wookiee and go down. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> That's that. Well, Star Wars, but yeah, okay. Oh yeah, that's right. Let, readers and listeners, Leslie is a, a Star Trek geek, so and she's very sensitive about Star Wars versus Star Trek. So uh, that's something we have to deal with. But uh, that's that's not your problem. I met the original actors from the original Star Trek. One of the highlights of my life. <laughs> nice. Um, so that's that's a wrap. Thank you for listening uh, to Inside Towers Week in Review. We will see you in a week. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.